2: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, June 16th, 2022. I'm Tony Vernetti, the president and founder of Feds Protection. Uh, this week marked the 21st anniversary of 9 11, if you can believe that. So we thought it would be a real good time here at Fed Talk to reflect on the impacts of this awful tragedy, uh, both then and now, uh, with really a, a different focus, a focus on first responders, the also often not discussed line of duty deaths occurring many years after and the mental health struggles for all who are impacted by this this real you know awful tragic day and to assist with our discussion i have two federal agents who are actual first responders at at ground zero and a mental health practitioner who specializes in treatment of first responders so let me start by introducing my good friends dr gene kanakogi and john adler dr gene as i as i mentioned is a first responder Senior Special Agent for the U.S. Government, Director of Mental Health and Peer Support Services for the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, or better known by its acronym, FLEOA. She is a sought-after mental health speaker, advisor, resiliency facilitator. And if you're ever out to dinner with her, she might steal your dinner roll. So you want to always be on the lookout for that. Good morning, Gene. Welcome for the show. And I just couldn't help myself.
3: Tony, that dinner roll is iconic and historic because that serves as the bond, the right. everlasting bond. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited sure. to have this discussion.
2: And then, um, someone who needs no introduction for Fed Talk, uh, John Adler has been on many times, um, also a 9 11 responder. Uh, John is the current president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association's Foundation. He is a uh, past president of Flioa as well, Police Magazine writer and advisory board member, former director of the Department of Justice's Bureau of Justice Assistance, and chief firearms and tactical training officer at the United States Attorney's Office in the famed Southern District of New York, and just an all-around good guy. Good morning, John. Thanks for thanks for being here.
1: Good morning, Tony and and Dr. Gene and Dr. Julie. And and for what it's worth, Jean would never have to steal my role. She can have my role anytime. That's that's
2: only because you're cutting carbs out these days.
1: And And then we're thrilled to have Dr.
2: Julie Trapino. Julie is a psychiatric nurse practitioner at the Shore Healing Psychiatric Service. She's also the clinical director of the SISM team for the New Jersey Firefighters Mutual Benevolent Association, on call clinician for mental health services at the New Jersey PGA 105 State Corrections and the New Jersey State Troopers Fraternal Association. Julie, good morning. Welcome to the show.
0: Good morning. Thank you for having me. I feel so honored to be a part of this talk today with you all.
2: We're, we're, we're ecstatic to have you here. So before we dive in, I want to remind everyone that Fed Talk is sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield. FEP Dental, that's a Federal Employee Program Dental, members get fully covered in-network preventive care, including up to three covered cleanings a year, plus no deductibles for in-service network like fillings and root canals. Visit bcbsfepdental.com. That's bcbsfepdental.com to learn more. So... So 911. So I want to, I want to just start with this general question and, and Dr. Gene, I will, you know, I will, um, start with you, you know, and I'm going to ask each of you, um, you know, this question, um, just to kind of like share, cause everything's it's personal to everybody. When we talk about, um, 911 and just share your perspective, you know, uh, from two levels. So it's like 21 years later, um, you know, every time 9 11 comes around, I know I have my own personal perspective, but but what does it mean, I think, to you personally? Um, and then you know, from your perspective for our country as well each year,
3: uh, for me personally, it means that I still have some personal work to do to get those thoughts, to get those images. Uh, from the, the back of my head to the front of my head to out of my head, but not forgetting uh, it. It also sh- makes me strive for September 12th to get everybody back to September September 12th because on September 12th, we as a nation were unified. People were clapping for law enforcement and first responders and thanking first responders. So to see a society like that again, that's what it means to me personally. It also means that there's a lot of healing to do. And it means that we have a lot of work to do to deal with the scars and the demons that have been left behind in people's heads and we have to open the doors and have those conversations to smash the stigma on the mental health front to be able to help help people heal.
2: Thanks, Gene. John, same same question for you.
1: I'm sorry. What was the question? No. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in denial. No, it's it, um, it, it, it is a struggle. I mean, I agree with, with my dear friend, Dr. Jean, completely. Um, there's a bunch of, of emotions jumping in every which direction. You know, one of the things that I struggle with and, and many of us who have uh, served down there during that, is we, we sort of can wrap our minds around the wounds delivered by the terrorists. We understand that badness happens, that's why we're in law enforcement. But when there are wounds delivered by our own government, by our own country, Those are the wounds that we struggle with. And that's when I have to go to my good friend, Dr. Jean, for some healing and guidance. Um, But we saw the best of the best in terms of the camaraderie and the law enforcement response. Americans helping Americans, irrespective of their political affiliation, irrespective of their ethnicity. None of that mattered. It was Americans in a time of crisis. Um, That is the positive piece. Unfortunately, it resulted in many fatalities and it continues to result in... Uh, additional fatalities to those who responded on that fatal day uh but more to come i'm sure in this segment on that yeah we'll we'll, yeah, we'll we're
2: definitely going to do a, a a deep dive into into a lot of things that you just mentioned john but i wanted to just sort of like use this um first segment to just kind of like set the stage here so julie let me ask you the same question so
0: yeah, for 9-11 i was at work that day and i I got called in. there was some kind of emergency on the television. I flip it on and you see that there had been a plane that had flown into uh, the first tower. And quite honestly, I panicked. My husband is retired law enforcement up in Elizabeth. He also um, his two brothers are also in Elizabeth as well. So at that moment in time, I, I just quite honestly, I went into a panic. I was thinking, are they OK or is something going to happen here in New Jersey? What's happening? I started calling, I couldn't get him on the phone, I couldn't get anyone on the phone. Um, and you know, it, it was just, it was sheer terror for that day. And and now fast forward all these years later and you see the repercussions of that, how it's affected those individuals, family, friends. Um, for me, it's just, it's more about healing from those wounds that caused that day and helping people get to a better place where they don't feel so traumatized by that event. and. And also, really, to be proud that they're an American and be here in the United States, um, and and overall, just wanting to help my patients heal from that day.
2: Yes, thank thank you for that perspective. I mean, just real quick, for for me personally, I was you know at my old law firm then, um, I was on the phone with a client who was telling me what was happening, and you're right about things just happened the gene the next day for me. But I had recently just left the federal government. I was a lawyer working in a federal law enforcement agency, and I had just left in May um, where I started working in a law firm. And I remember having this tremendous sort of feeling of helplessness. And, you know, what was I doing out here? Because up until then, I had only known public service. I was in the military. I worked in the government. You know, just a tremendous, you know, helpless feeling. Like, like all I want to do is maybe go back into the federal government you know, and, and serve that way. But I remember very clearly, I sort of reconciled those feelings. I channeled what I was doing at at the law firm where I was defending, you know, federal employees, federal law enforcement, you know, both what I do with my you know, insurance company that that provides valuable insurance to those who are, who are serving. And I sort of reconciled um, my public service, um, that way and and then each year, you know at 9 eleven I really think back at um, how our country came together immediately. Um, particularly when you think about stuff that are going going on now, you know, just how divisive you know things can be. Um, but then when we have sort of you know a tragedy like that, it just shows a resiliency resiliency of, of our you know our, our country and you know and our you know the good men and women. You know that work for it, both in and out um, of uniform so it just really you know makes me proud sort of to be an american every year you know nine eleven when i when i think about those things so we're gonna um that was a great introduction we're gonna stop here for our first break you're listening to fed talk on federal news network when we come back we'll continue our discussion about 9 21 years later
3: what makes good vision coverage i knew it when i saw it things like fully covered vision care exams for all members access to over 125,000 independent eye care providers and national retailers, plus benefits you can use at many online retailers. That's why I chose Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Vision, and plans start as low as $12 a month. See what we can do for you at
1: bcbsfvpvision.com.
2: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are talking about 9-11 and the impacts of this tragedy, both then and now. And my guests are former first responders, John Adler and Dr. Gene Kanakogi. And we also have Dr. Julia Trapino, a mental health practitioner who specializes in treatment of first responders. So at the outset of the show, I, I talked about how both Jean and John were were sort of there, you know, at ground zero, you know, at the very beginning. Um so let me ask each of you to just sort of paint a picture for us, you know, for you know, yeah, all of us watched what was going on um in TV and things like that, but it certainly, you know, didn't do it justice. Gene, let me start with you.
3: Well, I can tell you that uh the day of 9 11 and the days after and the months after, it affects every system in your body. It affected everything from smell. Taste, sight, uh, you you name it. Uh, what you hear, and to this day, people still carry that. Uh, it was pandemonium. It was organized. It was chaos, and then it was organized chaos. And it, it's so hard to describe, but it's a feeling that remains with us. And John can testify to that. That it, it's embedded in our soul. When it went from rescue recovery straight to recovery with, within 24 hours. Uh, they would ring bells when they had to do small explosions to try to get to the bottom of the pile. People were coming from all over the place to try to help but it became chaotic. There were literally no supplies, no masks, no water, uh, and then uh, they, we started, a, a and John can speak to this as well, the bucket brigade where, uh, I'll let John explain what that is, and it was just Chaos, which became organized chaos, uh, people and agencies from all over. Whether you're a federal agent, state and local firefighter, volunteer firefighter from New York, New Jersey, uh, as far away from as fast as they can get to down to uh, ground zero in in Manhattan. John, so
2: Gene, before I get to John, were you you were posted? You were posted duty was it in New York City on nine eleven.
3: Yes, my post of duty was uh, New York City for 18 years, and um, I, I I was walking distance to the towers.
2: And so I'm just curious that you know was was the I guess at least the initial response for first responders like, like as far as the organization of it, you know did you you know did you have to wait to sort of be assigned or say this is what we're going to do or all hands on deck did everybody just go.
3: It was all hands on deck, everybody go, then stop. Uh, They had to have some sort of an organization. Who's going to take lead in the investigation? Who's going to help organize the dig? who's going to help organize the rescue recovery. So I was then assigned onto the Joint Terrorism Task Force and I was given a duty location and we were broken into pods. The pods, you weren't with your agency, you were with other law enforcement. So mine was a federal team. I was assigned an assistant United States attorney and that would be my go-to person should I need any type of warrant, any type of subpoena we were given leads that came in through the FBI lead hotline. It was triaged, it was sent to the team. We would go out, follow those leads, and then when we were done with that tour, uh, we would go to the pile
2: and dig. So John, tell us about your experience.
1: So, uh, Mine 11 experience began uh, on the Brooklyn side of the Battery Tunnel, which feeds into downtown Manhattan. Uh, After the first tower went down I was able to come across the battery tunnel on an emergency service uh, vehicle and dropped off about two blocks south of what was ultimately the South Tower. Uh, In terms of describing it, it was as if you were airdropped into a sci-fi zombie apocalypse type of uh, movie. For those people uh, older than 50, I was expecting uh, Charlton Heston to walk out and yell, damn those apes type of thing. Um, it was stunning, uh, until the anger came along and you start to process what's going on. Visibility was bad. We got people out of the primary park tunnel, turned all the vehicles off to make sure nothing was detonated. Obviously very limited information in terms of what transpired. Um, none of us believed there was an accident or an air control, air traffic control (laughs) error. Uh. So coming across, I worked for the United States Attorney's Office, as you mentioned, Sovereign District of New York at the time. Uh, I was able to navigate my way up Trinity, past where the towers came down with, again, very limited visibility, people sort of uh, fleeing the scene, covered in soot, and um, my mind trying to process that and go from, you know, angry human being who might have just lost a lot of friends who served in the, the towers to I have a mission, I'm a professional, get my backside to my office, which is the U.S. Attorney's Office that was approximately eight or so blocks away from the impacted grounds. So we went to the office and uh, gathered up, mustered up with a couple of criminal investigators and we went right back down uh, to Ground Hero, trying to get a handle on that, help evacuate as many people as possible. You know, Law enforcement, we're thinking this is a crime scene, so we're looking for evidence. I remember um, members of the fire department handing me pieces of the plane that we were tagging, which in retrospect um, wasn't needed, but at the time we're trying to wrap our minds around what's happening, you know, set up a crime scene, which was physically challenging to say the least, uh, and then also obviously coordinate with the uh, the upper echelon and U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, the U.S. Attorney at the time, Mary Jo White, had to coordinate with the FBI and the other federal agencies. Obviously, to get a a precise handle on what transpired as well as what the appropriate reaction would be, what uh, necessary steps were needed to sort of bring confidence to the public that there wasn't going to be a continued series of attacks and that we were prepared and engaged. Uh, This carried on for September 12th, 13th, and so on uh, before transitioning more into the investigative mode. Uh, We did um, ultimately help a significant number of people to get safely away from Ground Hero, did collect uh, too many pieces of the plane. Uh, Gene mentioned the Bucket Brigade, which came later, which is working in the middle of the pit or pile, depending on how you want to identify the big pile of of pulverized uh, buildings and sort of pulling out whatever we could that might amount to either remains and or evidence. And you you kind of have the the responsibility of scooping the bucket, picking up what you can, and you pass it along the line, like back in the day in the firefighting days before we had trucks and hydrants where they would pass the buckets of water along to uh, defeat a fire. Um, it was a challenge. Um, it was stunning. And again, trying to manage the mission of law enforcement with the emotions of wanting to get, as was written in many places, payback. Uh, you wanted to get the responsible um for impacting the harm. So let
2: me ask, and I'll ask, you know, a question for both of you, the the sort of the I want to ask like the difference between the human response, you know, and then your professional response as, as law enforcement officers. You know, like like how long did it take? I you know we gotta imagine that the, the adrenaline is running hot, right? You know, you know, and how long did it take? Did it take days, you know, for you to, you know, yeah we're responding you're in law enforcement you're there but uh, like for our listeners like how long did it you know did it take to switch from that natural human response where the adrenaline adrenaline is running hard and fast to this to you know shifting gears you know to the more you know operational professional kind of you know attitude of what you're what you're doing there well i'll
3: I'll jump in on that uh you know As a law enforcement officer, we compartmentalize a lot. So no matter what is going on around us, if the sky is falling, in which it was that day, we compartmentalize and say, okay, this is happening. This is how we have to handle it. This is how we protect people. This is how we get people out of harm's way. We don't even think, well, wait a minute, something could fall on my head. That never even crosses our mind. We get people out of harm's way. We compartmentalize, and then when we have a moment to take a breath, Then we start thinking, wow, the human side of us is coming out. I'm angry. I'm mad. How the heck did this happen? And how dare you attack my city?
1: John, you? I experienced that that anger piece right away. Maybe it's just my DNA, but uh, I was angry. And I thought, again, some of my friends in particular who were serving in the Customs House, which was in Sixth World Trade, uh, were no, no longer with us. And, and uh, that kind of put me in Yosemite Sam mode, but at the same time, you're right, Tony. In your question, you, you, you're forced in what Dr. Gene said completely on point. We're built to transition and go into mission mode, and that's and that's what I did. Instead sort of heading right over to the U.S. Attorney's office because that was my primary responsibility, um, but then doing an about face and going back down there, and um, you know, hearing phantom echoes in the pile as the evening set in, hearing false alarms that the building behind us century 21 was about to fall and we all start running down trinity um thinking this is going to be the glorious end to our life um to staring at that battered flag now infamous american flag am i thinking i wanted to take my backside back to my office and get a new flag because i didn't like the fact that they caused old glory to have holes and be burnt um you sort of push through dr gene said you push through and in the days ahead you know you continue to push through and, th- and then your mind goes towards people sort of reaching out to you asking you to look out for their loved ones those who are unaccounted for and you you have no choice but to remain in mission mode you know i remember going back to the office at about 2 30 in the morning uh with my, pot- my partner back then ron and we lie down on our squad room floor just for a little bit to grab a little shut eye if you will uh a came in about two hours later and we got up got up, what we saw was from the soot, a chalk outline around our bodies. And that was a, a brief dis- disconcerting moment, to say the least, to look down and say, oh, wow, am I really a DOA? And then, you know, you touch the relevant body parts and creds and so forth to make sure, no, you're not in the uh, thereafter, you're still in the game. Um, but I would say, Tony, in answer to your question, again, it, it, it was quite a while before, you know, as Gene said, you'd have a calm moment. Uh, you sit down, in my case, have a cold beer and say, "Holy sugar, um, what the hell happened?"
2: Right, right. I wonder if you could just qu- one of you quickly sort of tell our you know everybody you know identifies you know the the firefighters, the New York City firefighters that responded, the New York City policemen, folks like you who are in federal law enforcement that were local and responded. But I wonder if you can give a sort of a bigger, broader picture just sort of how. You sort of how broad the kind of first responder response you know was at all the different sort of agencies that 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 came and participated and helped, you know, you know maybe not you know the immediate days, but in the weeks to follow.
3: there There were law enforcement and firefighters from as far down as Florida, and I believe there was some folks that came in from the Midwest from California. Uh, you would just see all the different agencies, everybody wore some identifying mark and uh, eventually uh, the areas were cordoned off. So you had to show ID. And of course people were, you know, un- I, don't, I, I can't wrap my head around the nefarious people that were trying to get in just to get in. But um, for the most part, we saw people, and John, you could attest to this, from all over the country, including their rescue and recovery dogs from uh, from outside of the country.
1: Yeah, uh, you, Gene, you're on point. I mean, initially, it was what I saw uh, being down there after the collapse and remain, and then briefly running back to the office and coming back down to the wee hours. Uh, NYPD was there in full force. FDNY was there in full force. Port Authority was there in full force. We tried to set up some form of perimeter to keep those those undesirables, as Gene described, and I'll be nice about it, but to keep them from poaching on the scene because they wanted a souvenir you know, while we were dealing with mass death. Um, and and then slowly as Gene iterated that other law enforcement components in the days to come did ultimately make their way first in the metropolitan area and then in a greater distance, uh, be it Florida or other parts of the country. The challenge initially though, was everyone's there. And I got to tell you, and you know, Gene taught at Fletsy, the Federal Academy. Uh, you can take all these wonderful classes, you know, weapons of mass destruction and hazmat training and how to respond to all these crises, there isn't a textbook in the world that's gonna prepare everyone to respond. So what you had was a bunch of brave, honorable individuals standing there in harm's way because the buildings around us were wavering, figuring out what we were supposed to do other than obviously try and rescue anybody who survived. And then unfortunately you have that epiphany, you look up, you look down, and the quiet voice in your head says in a soothing fashion, there is no one else who survived, but it was a, a powerful assembly of law enforcement firefighters together initially um, before, again, the others came in and later National Guard came in. Um, right.
2: Right. I asked so- the question because, you know, I, you know, I was a little bit in the know then and I was surprised by some of my my clients at the time, you know, you know, Department of Agriculture, Forest Service employees and things like that that were being, Dispatch there in detail there. I just think the, the, the public would, would be surprised. We have to stop here for a second break. We'll continue our discussion after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to the Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are just entering the second half of our show, and we were talking about 9 11 and the impacts of this tra- this tragedy, both then and now. And my guests are former federal ag- current and former federal agents, John Adler and Dr. Gene Kanakogi, and Dr. Julie Turpino, a mental health practitioner who specializes in the treatment of first responders. I want to bring Julie on to, to talk about her practice, um, talk about, you know, who she helped and why she got involved in that. But before we do that, because in, in preparation for the show, I know I asked um Dr. Jean, you know, uh, you know, is there anything I shouldn't talk about or ask? And she she highlighted this question for me and 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 I found it very interesting because it is something that I think literally everybody asks, you know, and people would say you know, where were you, you know, at during nine eleven or at 9-11? And in doing the intro, I think Julie talked about it, I talked about it um, where we were, but from a, from a, and we're gonna shift the show now to more of the kind of the mental health aspect um, of the aftermath. So from a, Gene, from a mental health perspective, you know, why is that something you wanna sort of be concerned about and only do it in certain circumstances?
3: Well, a lot of times when you ask people, where were you uh, at a certain point, if if they go back in their mind and in their mind's eye and also using their other senses, and they were actually down at ground zero, uh, whether digging on a pile down there when it happened, down there when the towers fell, it can bring up a myriad of emotions and it can bring up a myriad of triggers. And if they're not in a safe environment, if they're not, if they haven't fully processed what they experienced, even 21 years later, that can be detrimental to their mental health. Mm -hmm. So asking that question sometimes can be a little bit insensitive just because it can trigger somebody who has not processed. Versus you know, where were you at the beginning of third grade? okay? Well, most people aren't triggered at the beginning of third grade because I was at school, I wore socks or uh, whatever the case was. But this was such a a crisis. it can stir up a, these emotions and actually do more harm than good when asking a question like that
2: so so thanks for that um all right julie i want to thank you for being so patient um but i want to sort of um bring you um on the show here more actively and and ask you to kind of introduce your you know your practice to our to our listeners and 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 what got you interested in in this kind of work
0: okay so uh, my practice is in lyncroft new jersey um we exclusively treat first responders so that's any um, military veteran, law enforcement, firefighter, EMS, anyone in that first responder realm. Um, I have myself in the office where I'll do uh, psychotherapy, medication management, and I have three other clinicians that also see first responders, and they're um, social workers and a forensic psychologist, and they just do therapy. Uh, I would say that, you know, this was sort of um a practice in development for quite some time. I uh, I mentioned before, um, you know, on 9/11 being panicked, not knowing where my husband is. Fast forward years later, um, one of my husband's friends killed himself on duty, and I got a panicked phone call from him, and I couldn't really understand him, and I wasn't sure what was happening. I thought something happened with our kids, um, and when he finally got out that one of the officers on duty had killed himself, uh, it, you know, my heart just sank for him. Um, and it really started kind of there. Uh, I was asked to to see some of the guys, and it it started kind of slowly at first, and then it just erupted in into this expansive um, practice where you know people were calling and wanted to come in and see me and and process what had gone on that day, and then other things in general in in their law enforcement or firefighter career. Um, couple, couple years after that, another officer uh, that my husband worked with killed himself. Also, there was a critical incident at work. Um, he wasn't handling it well. He killed himself and more officers were very upset about that. And they, they started coming into the practice. And as I got to meet people, sort of word of mouth, and I I just started seeing them on a, on a regular basis. I, years ago, I originally started off seeing children, believe it or not. And and I was working in a psychiatric emergency room. So that was truly my focus, but I, I got pulled into this and this really became a passion of mine because I felt so connected to them. You know, I grew up as a law enforcement spouse. Um, I came from a long line of uh, Marine Corps uh, veterans that that served our, our nation. And I just felt that I was doing more service helping those individuals. So my practice just started to gradually shift towards that. and And now that's, uh, traditionally all that I see. Um, most of the officers, firefighters, you know, they'll come to me through word of mouth as well as uh, you know, the agencies will refer to me. Um, it gets very it gets very busy here. sometimes, you know, they call and I can't get them in right away, even with myself and the other clinicians. and I- I'll go home at night and I'll think, oh God, what if this person's in real distress? So I find myself, you know, working more than just the 40 hours, um, late nights, weekends, that sort of thing. Um, But one of the other things with my practice is I am registered with the 9-11 World Trade Center Foundation through Rutgers. So we get a lot of um, individuals that were obviously World Trade Center related conditions from 9-11, whether it be responders or survivors from that day that will come and see me or the other clinicians in the office for med management or, or psychotherapy. And at what I found with those individuals, um, you know, all these years later, traumatized is an understatement. I have a particular officer that I see from Port Authority. That individual was there that day. Um, and when that person comes in, it, it, it's taken me about a year and a half really just to, to break that individual down to be able to start talking about some of the things that day. So it's You have to be very patient with them. Um, And I actually started EMDR with this individual. And this individual had great success with moving past some of those traumatic images that day. Uh, That individual was there, um, knew, many of obviously knew the officers from Port Authority that had passed away. Um, So all these years later, uh, sounds, uh, dump truck sounds, um, anything that sounds like a pass alarm puts that person into utter panic. Uh, and it's taken a long time, but EMDR, which is the treatment that I typically like to focus on for a therapy modality is what I use to help this person. And they've had great success.
2: So I'm going to ask you to explain that in in just a little bit more detail, but I also want to ask you, um, like, what are the, what are treating this kind of group? What are the, the biggest challenges, um, that, that you see? I mean, from my perspective, um, you know, over the years being, you know, in law enforcement, working with law enforcement, it's certainly, you know, not a group where it's in their DNA to ask for help, right? Yeah. Um, and so how do you get over sort of, you know, are, are, are there, we're tough about it. That's what we're we're taught that we have to be and not and not weak or whatever. You know, how do you get over those sort of barriers or, or challenges and, and other related ones?
1: Well,
0: part of what I do is is I make my rounds to all the, the conventions that we have in New Jersey. And I, and I speak to a lot of the different um, PBA and FMBA and, and state trooper uh, departments. And just make yourself sort of there and known. Um, we will go around and, and have these sort of little seminars and, and tell them, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And typically what happens is you get that one guy or girl that says, all right, I'm going to come and talk to you. They have a good experience here. And then it passes along through word of mouth and then other people start coming. Um, I will I will tell you that I think uh, I have a very natural, easy, easy approach, very calm. Uh, my office is, is beautiful. And, and again, it's only first responders. So you don't have to worry about like screaming kids in the office or a civilian. So it's very safe face here. And I think that information gets out and that helps them come to my office. When they do start for therapy, I kind of let them guide the session for the first few sessions and let them tell me what they feel comfortable with. It takes some time to build that trust. Um, I sort of have immediate uh, credibility just for the fact that I'm a law enforcement spouse. Um, So that, that definitely has helped. And my other clinician, the one is married to a firefighter, the other one's married to a state trooper. So we really understand the lifestyle. We understand what it's like to miss holidays and vacations and important events. And you also you're understand. Really, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You're, you're really ahead.
2: involved in their in their community, in their yeah. in their space. Um, and just I guess just quickly, just more detail on what the EMDR therapy actually actually is
0: sure sure so EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing it's a form of psychotherapy that enables people to heal from the symptoms and emotion emotional distress that are the results of a sort of disturbing life event or critical incident that they would have on duty Um, EMDR really is considered the gold standard for treating PTSD, PTS Um, the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Department of Defense recognizes that EMDR is the best practice in treating veterans and and first responders. Uh, When when you have a traumatic incident or a distressing experience occurs, often it overwhelms the normal brain processes of of coping. Um, And with the memory and the associated stimuli being inadequately processed and stored in that isolated memory network, um, it, it creates basically like a block and And they can't process that event normally. Trauma is like a wound in your brain that hasn't been allowed to heal. And because it hasn't had the chance to heal, the brain doesn't receive the messages that the danger that they experience is over. So, you know, it could be a week later, 21 years later, a sight, a sound, a smell, anything can trigger them to have that flashback. And they're right back in that immediate moment of 9-11 or a shooting that they might've been involved in or some sort of, uh, you know, fire event that they were involved sure. in.
2: Mm-hmm. So Gene and John and I, um, want to do this real quickly. Um, cause I've got basically like two, two three minutes in this segment left. Um, both of you have been in law enforcement for a long time. Um, you know, have you, I'll start with you, Gene, what have you seen change in kind of the, the stigma for asking for help, you know, which probably when you first started your career was like way on one end of a continuum. And kind of like, where are we? Where are we now?
3: We are at a good point where there are catchphrases, smash the stigma and there are ways to say it's okay to not be okay, even if it's temporary. These phrases are repeated over and over, and it soon has become the norm in conversation. We're still pushing forward, we have a lot more to go. However, smashing the stigma and reaching out for help is part of the conversations we're trying to instill in every federal agency, state, local, rural, tribal, and first responder agency so we're pushing this forward it's huge from suck it up buttercup to smash the stigma
2: tough guy what about you
1: (laughs) well just to echo uh, with what my beloved doctors both said um and and in gene's case you know gene gene is a director of mental health and, and powerhouse mind and soul lifting for flioa uh when dr julie mentioned it's okay to not be okay Dr. Gene reinforced that powerfully within Flioa by sending out messages to the to the the, the uh, entire membership, um, hitting on the credible point of smash stigma, save lives. But also, when you see it coming from someone who's not just a psychologist, but also a special agent for many years and a judo champion, and a daughter of mother of all judo, um, that resonates. That's a powerful credibility grabber. I can say, you know, in following up on what Dr. Julie said, um, in October, I was in P- National Police Week, sitting on the dais during the candlelight vigil where we read the names of the fallen. And we were at the National Mall grounds. And in the distance was the the Washington, the the monument, and a plane every five or 10 minutes kept flying by behind it. And it goes right towards what Dr. Julie was pointing about. I was all over my chair. I think, thought I was going to have a meltdown. And I was looking around to see if anybody else was triggering on this. And, um, it looked like I was the only one who was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but you know what, hanging around with Dr. Gene and Dr. Julie, I said to myself, it's okay. I didn't like it. It felt very uncomfortable, but you know what? It's okay. And God bless them. You know, when I was director of BJA, I stressed two critical things in proactive efforts to address suicide prevention and engaging in mental health and awareness. All of our folks need access for two things, credible, credible professionals and anonymous treatment. And when you listen to these two, Dr. Jean and Dr. Julie, the credibility piece resonates. And I'm sure they respect the, the anonymity as well. But that's what gets those impacted to step forward and feel comfortable to now first start sharing and engage with those demons that have otherwise been in the back of our minds, in the back of our souls, wrecking havoc on our lives.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's the the biggest change I've seen, um, you know, and and something, you know, that I, I hope we continue to do is just letting people um, know that it's it's OK. Um, you know, and in my day job um, with, you know, feds and the liability insurance, I deal with people involved in shootings all the time. And, you know, after we deal with getting them a lawyer and things like that, that's the last thing that I tell them, like, listen, they're going to offer this counseling, you know, for you take advantage of it it's okay to be vulnerable it's a big deal to take a human life you know you're going to process how things could have gone differently you absolutely you know should 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 take advantage of it so we're going to stop here for our final break when we return we'll continue our discussion with the group about 9 11 21 years later you're listening to fed talk on federal news network
1: what makes good vision coverage
3: i knew it when i saw it things like fully covered vision care exams for all members access to over 125,000 independent eye care providers and national retailers. Plus benefits you can use at many online retailers. That's why I chose Blue Cross Blue Shield FEP Vision. And plans start as low as $12 a month.
1: See what we can do for you at bcbsfepvision.com.
2: Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are entering our last segment of the show, Where Does the Time Go?, um, before we took the break, we were talking um a lot about the the mental health counseling that's that's available. Um, Jean, I wanted to sort of, you know ask you, um you, know, like who are these counselors that are available out there that are providing this for our, for our law enforcement officers and our first responders?
3: Well, you know, Tony, I'm glad you asked that because now that mental health in law enforcement, is getting more attention there's been legislation there is the smash the stigma hashtag all over social media the it's okay to not be okay please reach out get counseling but the thing that we still have a little bit further to go to bridge the gap, is to get these people culturally competent counselors. Because, Mm -hmm. and I say culturally competent because people who understand, people like Dr. Julie, who understand the law enforcement mentality, earlier you alluded to, we're we're not the ones that go in and, and bear feelings right away. And you also said a very key word before, by the way, vulnerable. And I'm gonna get back to that, but the counselors, these culturally competent counselors have to have an understanding, have to have the lived experience of law enforcement. You can't read, okay, I'm gonna read three police stories, watch Law & Order and NCIS, and now I know all about cops. That's not Mm -hmm. the case, okay? You can't watch Law & Order and say you're a lawyer. You can't do the same as a counselor and say I'm a culturally competent counselor. I, as the director of mental health for FLIOA, i have had membership call me saying i you said to go to a counselor i went to a counselor and the first thing my counselor asked was well how many guns do you have and i wasn't even talking about guns and i was like wow flabbergasted and that's not even the most egregious things that have been said in counseling sessions there have been counseling sessions where law enforcement officers will talk to the counselor and then the count then then they're literally holding the counselor because they can't take any more of the story
1: yes. so
3: these culturally competent counselors such as dr julie have a very special technique and a very and they're very special people aside from regular counselors because they have the knowledge, the lived experience and, and I'm gonna punt that to Julie right now to see what else you can add about being a culturally competent counselor versus a counselor that watches
0: law and order. Thanks, Jean. Um, so to your point, culturally competent, what exactly does that mean? There's many trauma therapists out there, but really when you get down to it, They know how to deal with a person that comes in with one singular trauma, police and fire that come into my office have 964 traumas and, and they all affect them in different ways. And to your point, as you're hearing some of these terrible things and the guys go into guys and girls go into detail about the event and things they saw and experienced, um, you have to be able to handle that and, and take it in and not break down yourself. And I often when I go out as the director of uh, the FMBA SISM team, I say to all the firefighters, if you're not in therapy, you should be. From day one of your fire service to the year 25, you should see someone the entire time. Doesn't mean you have to see them every week or all the time, but have an established relationship with someone. So when you have those things that are distressing or upsetting, you can go in, come in, dump it and leave. The worst thing is to have a critical event and come into an office and be sitting down, how do you feel today? That doesn't work like that. And they need to be very cognizant of how they replace all the things that they see. I I always have this little cheese analogy. You start off as American cheese. And every time you go to an event, you leave a little piece of you behind. And by the end of your career, you will be Swiss cheese if you do not engage in therapy and some form of self-care. And when I give that analogy to my guys and girls, it clicks with them. It makes sense. And I say, like you're at work all the time. The this the difficult thing about being at work, whether you're on the fire truck or in the police cars, you're driving around and you're seeing uh, you know, this street, that's where somebody died. This this house, there was a fire. So you're constantly driving around the area and seeing those things in as a film strip in their mind. And I think they just they compartmentalize it, they put it aside, they don't think about it, and then something happens one day and it just all kind of crumbles down and and if they engage with someone that truly understands them that they can bond with they will be a better firefighter or officer you know to get to the end of their career
2: thanks thanks for that so john i want to just shift gears in the in the time that we have left and, and talk a little bit about the um you know post event related illnesses and deaths um that have happened i i talked about it at the beginning so i want to um let you comment on that, and maybe if you have any the st- statistics, that'd be great to give our listeners and, and talk about the, the 9-11 Health and Compensation Reauthorization Act that, that you were involved
1: in. So, <clears throat> on 9-11, 72 law enforcement officers made the ultimate sacrifice and were killed. Since 9-11, 300 law enforcement first responders have died from the toxin exposure to the grounds that either Ground Hero, uh, the Pentagon, or Shanksville. Uh, there was a complete understanding, although we didn't take heed or take pause at the time, that we were during the first response exposed to things that were not going to be good for our lifespan. Um, unfortunately, after the immediate uh, days and then weeks afterwards, folks were experiencing some of the ex- of sustained exposure to these toxins. So. This pushed all of the national law enforcement and firefighter organizations and the unions uh, representing the construction folks as well to Washington DC to have legislation established to permanently establish the World Trade Health Program and the Victim Compensation Fund. So the World Trade Health Program uh, would provide treatment or monitoring uh, screening and treatment for those first responders. And the Victim Compensation Fund would provide uh compensation for those who were injured and or killed and their families and their survivors the latter being administered by the department of justice the first one the world trade center health program being overseen by niosh yet another acronym so we got that passed in 2010 establishing those two those two critically important components unfortunately they were set to expire in five years so in 2015 the james the droger uh, Health and Compensation Reauthorization Act was passed to permanently establish the World Trade Health Program and further fund the Victim Compensation Fund. Unfortunately, there were problems in the funding formula. In 2019, they had to pass yet another piece of legislation to permanently fund the Victim Compensation Fund. Now, unfortunately, we have learned yet again that there was a funding shortfall in the uh, plan for funding needed for the World Trade Center Health Program. Current piece of legislation called the 9-11 Responder and Survivor Health uh, Funding Correction Act. That would correct the shortfall for funding for the World Trade Center Health Program and provide permanent funding. Um, Chuck Schumer and and, um, Kirsten Gillibrand are fighting on the Hill to get this piece of legislation through the Senate so that we can ensure we have the funding to provide these necessary services uh, for the first responders. Unfortunately, I mentioned uh, 300 have died since then. Among that group, 24 federal law enforcement officers have died from the toxin exposures. And from what I understand, there are more of those individuals names pending. Um, So what we understand is that unfortunately, we're gonna continue to lose uh, more first responders as time lapses and we need to provide that funding. We need to provide with the same speed that we did to support our friends in the Ukraine. You know, 9-11 was 2001, here we are in 2022. Congress needs to get to stepping and make sure they apply the same prioritization and passion to pass this legislation so no one is left without the the treatment, the screening and the care that they need for being proud honorable first responders.
2: So I have two minutes left. Um, I can't have you on, Gene, without talking about the two recent um, pieces of legislation that you were involved in um, that had unanimous bipartisan support, um, the COPS Counseling Act and the Public Safety Officer Safety Act of 2022. Um, Can you just please quickly tell our listeners about that and and what it's about and where they can get um, more information?
3: absolutely uh, they can get more information on our website flioa.org and i i had a small part of this with Flioa pushing uh, mental health as a top priority the cops counseling act was fantastic because it's the confidential opportunities for peer support for federal law enforcement which will go into state local rural and tribal eventually as well that peer support is one of the first lines of getting the dialogue started, talking to a peer, talking to somebody else who is trained as a peer support officer and having that dialogue to say, hey, this is what happened to me. Can, can we talk about this? And having it structured. The other one, the Public Safety, Officers, uh, Public Safety Officers Benefits Act, that is monumental. That is including died by suicide as a line of duty death. Now there's been some argument about incentivizing suicide, but you know what? That's not the case. It's actually contradictory to incentivizing suicide because you have to be able to get a diagnosis. You have to have been able to reach out. You have to go through a whole bunch of channels. And what that is doing is it is ultimately preventing suicide by including this. And this is monumental legislation, uh, the fact that it got through within the last six months to eight months, it is fantastic. And it really is pushing forward to smash the stigma.
2: Right. And I think it goes back to what we we're talking about is, you know, it's okay. Um, so that's all the time we have for the show today. I want to thank our guests, John Adler, Dr. Jean Kanakogi, Julie Treppino for being here it really was a wonderful show guys. I thank all of you for tuning in and listening. Fed Talk is brought to you by the federal employment law firm Shaw Bransford and Roth. Have a great weekend, everyone.